I'm such a proponent of slow living and sort of analog experience. I'm a person who encourages others to write old-fashioned letters on mm. pen and paper, and I know the difference that makes. It seems initially somewhat um, out of character to say that I really owe so much to the internet, but I truly do. And I feel that when used properly, the internet gives us a chance to find our people. Supply Posse. It's Kim here. Today we're bringing you an interview with Naomi Bolger. She's an illustrator based in Melbourne, Australia. Naomi is also an advocate of letter writing and she shares her love with this during this episode. I do hope you enjoy the talk with Naomi. Welcome to the Art Supply Posse, Naomi. Uh, Would you be able to tell the listeners who is Naomi? Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, Naomi is. I am work-wise a writer and an illustrator and uh, I teach creativity courses. I also am a mum to two small kids aged six and four and that keeps me pretty busy all up. I live in Melbourne, Australia. I would imagine a four and a six-year-old would keep you very busy, let alone the work. (laughs) Oh dear. Um, so how let's let's start right back at the start. How sure. were you introduced to illustrating? Um, originally I really loved I, I mean I guess I would say that I was influenced and introduced to illustrating by the books I read as a child. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Narnia books, Swallows and Amazons, that style of illustrating I just I loved and I guess that I had that sense I love those books, so it really um I associated that type of illustration with a really special place, you know, caught up with a book mm. and a torch under the doona when I was supposed to be asleep at night. I did the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> and when I was in high school doing art classes, my I remember my art teacher really, really did not like. My, those, those drawings were insignificant and silly and she tried to get me to do great big major works that were just, are just out of – this is not, not my interest, not something I liked. And so I really – went away from drawing for a really long time mm-hmm. and sort of cycled back to it only not so many years ago and kind of, I guess, the by now, and I'm showing my age, the internet had arrived yeah. and I guess I was able to find my tribe and the sorts of people that also enjoy these little types of old-fashioned book illustration drawings and there was suddenly a world that did appreciate this sort of work and I kind of cycled right back around to it. Yeah, wow. So have you, has illustrating always been that thing that you've done creatively or have did you try your hand at other other types of creative outlets before you yeah. came back to, to illustrating? I definitely did not, con- I wasn't illustrating the whole time. Mm-hmm. I always loved drawing but no, I was, I've been a writer as for my career for a long time and I love writing, I love creative writing, I made a career as a journalist. So that was really my creative outlet for a very long time, my sort of sole creative outlet that I guess went into the public eye. Mm. Um, so illustration really only came in um, maybe 10 years ago and it came through writing. I wrote a little book, a fiction book that was called Airmail And because of that, back in the day, I was sort of sending people letters to thank them for reading the book. Mm -hmm. Um, And I started to 
illustrate the envelopes that I sent to them and bit by bit that brought me back around to the, the real joy I find in drawing and illustrating. Why did you make the leap from journalism to being, being an illustrator and a freelance writer? I didn't, I, I, yeah, I guess it was not a strategic or an immediate leap. It happened quite gradually and looking back, I think what was going on was that my work as a journalist, I was editing a magazine and I was living in New York and a whole lot of stuff was happening. When I moved back to Australia, I, um, with my partner who had met in New York but who was Australian, he had two children. Mm-hmm. Um, so I sort of I was became a stepmom. And then in a, f- a few years' time, we started to have our own children. So there was that sense of you, editing magazines and doing that sort of work is incredibly time-consuming, as you can imagine. Mm. And it's a lot of fun and it's, it's really creative and it's really dynamic, but it wasn't really something that worked with a small family. So I was doing um, copywriting to pay the bills. Mm. And that is not the most creative form of writing <laughs> by a long stretch. <laughs> no. I, I had the skills to do it, um, but I was really, really not even remotely fulfilled. Yeah. In the meantime, I had been working on another novel while I was overseas. But when I came back, we moved um, states five times in 18 months Wow. Uh, following an international move. And then by the fifth interstate move, I was pregnant so writing a novel and the intensity that at least the way I write mm-hmm. that I found putting into the novel just wasn't, my brain just wasn't really able to do it. <laughs> so by the time I'd had my daughter, I was copywriting, not doing journalism. I wasn't, the book was half written and not really able to be completed, at least in this season of my life. And I guess I started, that's around the time I started drawing on envelopes a whole lot more, purely as something that I could do, a sort of brain dead, mummy brain, new baby working by day, trying to figure it all out and needing some kind of creative outlet. And I just started drawing on envelopes for no reason by then. It was just a fun thing that I did through my blog. And bit by bit that continued over the years and I guess I just found that I loved it and started to skill up. Mm. Um, And people started approaching me online asking for my drawings and that's how it sort of gradually changed um, to the point now where I don't do a whole lot of copywriting at all. Yay. <laughs> yes, yay. <laughs> like realistically, that's probably a good thing. It's not that creative, no. <laughs> and it's, it's amazing to think the internet has made, like has really been key in making this happen for you. You had a blog, you were able to do mm. that and then people were coming to you through the internet. Like it's great when it's, when it's great. The internet is wonderful, you know. Um, we hear so much bad things about about things that go on online or whatever but gee there's an awful lot of good things as well I think I really agree and I feel like it's funny because I'm such a proponent of slow slow living and sort of analog experience um and I you know I'm a person who encourages others to write old-fashioned letters on Mm. pen and paper and I know the difference that makes so I feel like it seems initially somewhat um out of character to say that I really owe so much to the internet but I I truly do and I feel that when used properly, the internet gives us a chance to find our people, like I said a bit earlier on, to find our tribe in a way that we've never had before. So if I'm, you know, if, if your great love is, I don't know, marbles, mm. 20 years ago, you would have been this, the one adult that you knew that was really into marbles. Yes. 
because it's an odd sort of, yeah, yeah. of habit. But now you can go online and join some kind of marble club and if there isn't one, you can start it and you can have a blog where you share pictures of all the different marbles that you find in your collections and you're a social media presence and do that and you will find other people that share your interest yeah. in this little glass ball. Yeah. And you find your people so you don't necessarily, we're not sort of geographically bound by our tribe is in our village and if there's no one who gets us, we're alone. Yeah, yeah. So it is a really fantastic tool for community as well as um, professional, like, you know, creative, being being seen creatively mm. when used properly. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I guess it gives you the chance, or not you, anyone who, who does it, to, to mm. reach people that you just may not have reached before, you know. Absolutely. You I have no idea there were so many people interested in writing letters. Yeah. Yeah. Would know that. yeah, no, it's an odd thing. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I, I did uh, Inco Rimo last year, the letter oh, writing for the first time ever, and I uh-huh. now write to oh, I don't know, there must be about twenty different people or something like that that we just converse throughout the year, and it's so nice. How lovely! Just to sit and write a letter to someone and receive one. That's even more exciting, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I love getting letters in the mail. It's so much nicer than bills. Uh, agreed. <laughs> um. So. Although your your move to to that as a full time as a well you know a, a a job that is creative and fulfilling and you're now no longer working for the man so to speak, mm-hmm. I know it happened organically. But have you could you suggest any tips or maybe what not to do for someone who's sort of thinking, oh maybe I could do this with whatever it is that I'm doing, you know, creatively? Sure. And could you suggest something or what not to do even as a thing? Um, yeah, well, absolutely. In terms of first of all, what to do. Um, first of all, I say keep practicing, particularly whether, you know, you don't need to have gone to and studied fine arts in order to make a profession out of something. I was a journalist without having gone, I studied literature at university and now I'm an illustrator without having had formal art training. Mm. And that's not to say that those things aren't wonderful and if you have them, I feel like you're ahead. Yes. Um, but if you don't have them, it doesn't need to stop you, but you need to practice. And one of the great things that we can do thanks to the internet these days, is practice in public. So if you want to scale up, just start by drawing. Don't, don't, or I'm saying if you want to be an illustrator, but mm. let's say you want to do crochet, start by mm. crocheting, whatever is your passion, just do it and don't wait till you're the best of the best and start sharing it because by sharing you will not only find your tribe of other people who are learning and will learn with you or will love to follow you on your journey of learning, but you will also um, – be made accountable so if you're saying you know I challenges I plan on doing you know a sketch a day every day this month and you post that on say Instagram Mm. or on your blog or something other people will follow along and they will hold you accountable and they'll be feeling invested in your success and really cheering you on Mm. and that's incredibly motivating and at the same time you're improving your skills and so I'd say first of all just keep practicing and do it in public and second which is related is if you plan on making a business out of this you need to build an audience because unless you have the funds and wherewithal to buy a shop front in the main street of your town where you've got foot traffic and people are walking by how will they find you Mm. if you open an etsy shop but nobody knows you're there you're competing with you know i don't know are there millions of shops on etsy now huge numbers yeah And so building an audience, and it doesn't mean you have to have hundreds of thousands of followers or anything like that. You might have 500 followers on Instagram who are really engaged with what you're doing and really love it. 
that's enough. You don't need to have the huge numbers, but you do need to have an audience. Mm. So I would say that. I would say to name it, you don't need to wait until you're earning a six-figure income from your art to say you're an artist. And one of the biggest steps for me was a couple of years ago on my Instagram, I had a sort of a bit of epiphany and I wasn't really looking to become a full-time illustrator or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But I was doing an Instagram course and and the teacher talked about saying what you do in a way that you're proud that you own it. So instead of saying draws pictures, write illustrator. Yep. Instead of saying writes words, put writer. Yes. Name it and be proud of it and you don't have to be the best. And from that, that was where I actually started picking up my first lot of commissions. Hmm. I wasn't seeking them. I had no intention of finding them. But within a month after changing my bio to from saying draws pictures or whatever I did to illustrator, people would look and if they liked my drawings that were on Instagram, they would now think, oh, she might be available. Yeah to do this job yeah so that's my next bit just name it um and I would also say especially to someone who's starting out is to start a newsletter so you don't have to have a website and all of the bells and whistles but if you're on social media people tend and depends on your platform but they tend not to buy as readily directly from social media and you might not be ready to sell yet but let's say again you've got those 500 really engaged Instagram followers and by engaged I mean they don't just hit like but they comment on your stuff they chat you comment on their stuff and you've got this sort of community going with them and you know that ultimately you might want to sell to them through an Etsy shop or to get them to commission you for something then you can invite them to sign up to a newsletter and you don't have to get send it out every week and it doesn't have to be big and long but a newsletter is where people are actually trusting you enough to give you their email addresses mm. and it belongs to you, not to a platform. So if Instagram closed down next month or started to try charge you for anything, you've still got those email addresses and those are the people that you can tell when you've got something new or when you're trying something out. And it's certainly in my experience and I know that a lot of people would say the same your newsletter is where your genuine community happens. These are the people who are super invested in what you're doing. And I know for me, every time I send out a newsletter, I make sales. Yep. I haven't sent one yet without making sales because those are the people who they're not just hitting like on a picture. They, they've given me their email addresses. They want to hear from me and know what I'm doing and what's available to them. Yeah. So that would be a big tip, I'd say, start a newsletter and it doesn't have to be big. Yeah. And the final one I would suggest is, and, and don't, is don't leave your day job just yet. <laughs> you can be your own art patron. There's a really great book called Real Artists Don't Starve by Jeff Goins, and he talks about the sort of the myth of the tortured starving artist <laughs> and how it doesn't have to be the case. And, in mm. fact, you can make a living as, a, as an artist and it's okay. But he also talks about different models of making a living than ones that we might think of. And one of them is simply to be your own patron, not to leave your job because your job you could see your job as a way of funding your art. Mm-hmm. And it may be that in time you make some more money and you feel that you can safely leave it, but you don't have to throw it all in and not do art till you leave your job. Mm. Elizabeth Gilbert, you know, um, Big Magic, yes, yes, says much the same thing and she didn't leave. She says she didn't quit her day job until her fourth book my third or fourth book, I can't remember which, which was Eat, Pray, Love, which Mm. is a massive international success. So with three previous really good-selling, 
um, you know, well-reviewed books under her belt, she still did not quit that day job because she didn't want to put the kind of pressure on her art that would mean it has to be, it has to bring in all the money mm. and now the pressure's on and the joy is sometimes lost. Yeah, I think that that's that kind of makes sense. Like if you feel like you're having to do it because you have mm-hmm. to make money, then you're probably not going to enjoy it as much as prior and I would think maybe it might that would show in your work whatever it is you're doing creatively if you're forcing yourself to do it I probably wouldn't be the best best artwork that yes. you could create and I think so too I have a, a, I've had a funny experience with that because as a writer all my life I've known how to turn my creative thing that I love into money and to work for it and so I would quite happily segment my creative writing books and things which were for me from my journalism and copywriting, which was for someone else. Mm. And I can do that and have no problem. When it comes to illustrating, I'm incredibly selective about the jobs that I take. And even when, like, the person's really nice and the job's really good, I find that with a lot of illustrating, the minute I agree to take money from it, I resent it Mm. and I procrastinate and I make it, put it last, and then I stress (laughs) about it and I have all this anxiety and I don't know why because it's, a painting that I'm excited to paint for people that I really like. Yeah. Um, I illustrate for an illust- uh, for a stationery company called Boots Paper. That's the exception, and I don't. I think it's maybe because the the woman who owns Boots is amazing and collaborative, and I feel like she makes me better, and we work really well together. But I don't do these days many other illustrations for money. So if I really, really want to do it, I'll try and do it for free <laughs> rather than take money. Yeah. Yeah, so I'll say to the person, oh, I'd love to do this, but actually you can't pay me because then I won't like it anymore. <laughs> and I've just learnt that I can do it for writing, but I can't do it for illustration. And yeah. sometimes the part of them, don't quit your day, day job is you need to sort of feel your way in that and see if it does it for you because the last thing you want is to lose your joy. And I love painting so much. I'm quite protective of my joy yeah. that I find in that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So on a on a a normal day, probably that's the wrong word. Normal probably isn't a very good word to use at all. But you know, once the the kids are off, no, not quite at school. Maybe he's one at school. You've got one at school one this school. year. She started. Yeah. So let's say the kids are not, you know they've gone for their day, um, and and it's just Naomi. What what do you? How do you settle into a day of creativity or a few hours? Like, do you block out hours? How does that sort of work for you? Yeah, I do, and I've learned to sort of work with my not just the, the time I have available, but my energy. Yeah. So I'm best and ha- like most like switched on early in the morning. Mm-hmm. So I get up early before the kids are awake, and it's normally dark. Like I'm talking five five thirty in the morning, mm-hmm. and that's when I do um, a whole lot of writing. So if I'm writing my courses or um, researching my courses, a lot of that will happen during that time, then the kids get up and we do their breakfast and we pack lunch boxes and get them ready for school and daycare and all the rest. Um, then when they're gone, I tend to sit back down, um, write a few, you know, respond to a few emails or things like that, a little bit more writing. By midday, that's when I know that my energy will be sort of slowing down. So after a little bite, that's when I'll often sit down and draw and it's, that's re-energizes me it's what feeds my soul so unless I've got huge amounts of deadlines with writing that's when I'll sit down and do some drawing or painting continue on after I've picked up the kids and done all of that 
home from school, giving them dinner, when they're in bed late at night, almost the only thing I do is painting. Um, occasionally I'll write, but by then it's just that's when I get the bulk of my work done unless I need the daylight for some, you know, colour nuance. Mm-hmm. I tend to paint at night, um, afternoon and night, so mornings are for writing. And that, that way you know, it's a, just a different sort of brain exercise to be painting and so I save that for when my energy is lower. And it, it, it would be, is it more relaxing, do you think, perhaps, like on the brain as such than writing? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It feeds and it really is. That's why I say I protect it because I love it so much and it just sort of feeds me. So all that energy that I'm drained from the day because I've been up early and I've been managing the kids and I've been, you know, writing something, working really hard, after dinner and everything's done, to be able to sit down and paint is what puts all that sort of feeds that energy back in again ready for the next day. Mm. It sounds quite nice. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> it sounds lovely. It sounds lovely. Um now you, you you mentioned you teach and, and mentor mm-hmm. as well. What what does that bring to your actual to your work as an artist? Like we know what teaching does when for for the for the person that's being taught, but what do you think it brings to you? I mean, essentially seeing how other people uh, sort of responding to their needs because I, because a number of my courses are mentoring a one to one, so we'll sit in a Skype call and chat about what the, what they're up to. It really helps me better understand the creative life because sometimes having not been formally trained in either of my creative fields, I guess I don't have that framework, do this, then do that, in order to get, mm. you know, such and such an outcome. It all is fairly intuitive. So being when I have to teach it and explain it, it really helps me in my own creative life to understand why I'm responding a certain way or why something works or doesn't work. And we, you know, with my students, we work through things like creative habits and why it's important to build a creative habit in. Um, you know, short answer being it not only feeds you creatively and helps train your brain, it also means that if, say, you do want a career in something creative, you can't just do it when the mood takes you. You've actually got to do it when the mood doesn't. Mm. So how do you develop these habits? So working through that with my students really kind of reinforces it for me why something has worked for me in a habit that I might have intuitively formed or how I can improve my own creative life. Same things with perfectionism, imposter syndrome. So many of my students struggle with this and by helping them struggle with ways to get past that sort of perfectionist tendencies and the inner critic and all of those things is really, really helpful for me in my own creative life as well. Um, There's another thing that I've been going through with them at the moment about these mind zones, things that you can do through the day at various points that help sort of centre you creatively and little mind exercises that you can do that help you access, you know, your creativity essentially on call once you train yourself. So working through that with them has been phenomenal for me and I guess it also keeps me accountable Mm. because all of these things I know that I should be doing but it's easy enough for any of us to let them slide. But if I'm telling my students they all need to do it I really got to step up and do it <laughs> kind of yeah <laughs> so it helps me it helps me keep stay on track yeah makes you a better teacher I guess too <laughs> I hope so <laughs> oh dear um so what what's your preferred mediums to work in I work in watercolor and gouache and I tend to mix the two so like 
physically mix them up with each other mm-hmm. um, as well as work side by side. And then I use sort of a, a waterproof ink pen because I like my style has quite a distinct um, outline, mm. sort of solid to contain it. So those are the three three mediums that I work in and they all go together. <laughs> and what uh, what brands do you use? Is there a preferred brand or...? Um, no, I mostly I have um, Windsor Newton, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily preferred brand. They just I like them so far, but I wouldn't say I've experimented enough. I do use some others, um, but I haven't really experimented enough to to tell you what's the best. Mm. Um, I do like to have I have this an old sort of dry, you know those palettes that you get like the kids ones with the dry paints mm. all in a row that belonged to my grandmother and I still use it. Wow. And I, the brand has long since worn off. Oh, it's yeah. It's really like really this great, it's squash and there's this, it's just sort of super chalky and um, I don't know, there's a little bit different blend to the ones you get these days. Yeah. And I also use her old palette. Oh, wow. And so I like to mix all my colours on that rather than my watercolours are sort of the pre-made palette mm-hmm. that I mix in and out of the gouache which goes onto my handmade mess (laughs) (laughs) that sounds like a really lovely thing to have though it's sort of special because she was an artist um just amateur she mostly painted in oils but when she was first learning she had these watercolors and gouache and you know I was a little girl and I remember using them and I still have them yeah it's kind of nice that's pretty special yeah yeah Yeah. I have sewing things that belong to my nana who's passed away and oh it's so lovely to just just even look at, let alone use them. It's just yeah. so nice. It's like, oh, she used these every day. Yeah, like, exactly. Her hands are on leash. Yeah, yeah. And there's something quite unique about that, which, you know, you just don't get that with digital things. Like, you know, that, that is really nice about being creative is it's such hands-on and it's, it really, yeah, yeah. It's very tactile. Yes. And I feel like there's that con- connection when you, I mean, this is like going back to letters again because I, I always do. Yeah. But there is that sense of if I wrote you a letter and you're holding it like it was in my hands and those fold mm-hmm. marks and creases were mm-hmm. made by my hands and now it's in your hands. Yep. And that's a really physical connection. It is. Even across time, someone who's passed away, you unfold some letter that they wrote you before they died. Yes. And they're a little piece of them, their thoughts, their feelings, their pen on the page, all of that's still with you. Yeah. So, yeah. I have, I've had that thought a couple of times. I thought, gee, what if this person I'm writing to passes away? Like... It's it's horrible and it's it's life and it's what happens. But you're right; you do have that piece of them still oh. years later. You know, yes. yeah, yeah. So that that love of of the letter writing and the the illustrating on on envelopes that's still oh. a continual thing. You still you know still sparks sparks yeah. creativity. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's where for me that was how, as you know, my path back to illustrating. Yeah. And it's still my favourite thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just love the idea of drawing some often odd or bizarre pictures. They don't <laughs> always make a lot of sense on an envelope and I love the thought of it passing through, you know, over land, across oceans, many, many hands, gathering smudges and creases along the way and stamps and all kinds of things mm. and then passing essentially from my home into someone else's home and, you know, in my letter, I'll tell them a little story or, you know, whatever it is. Mm. I just love the sense of the 
it's writing and drawing and human connection and sort of travel adventure yeah. all in one tiny little package. I, I like to think that um, it also puts a smile on the face of the delivery people. I don't know if they how much they how many people these days in in the process actually see a letter. I know there's an awful lot of automation going on in there, but there's this little part of me that thinks there's a person and they might see this and it might make them smile briefly. And <laughs> you know what? I don't. I can't say whether or not it makes them smile. I hope so, but they person will see it because one thing about mail art is. The machines can't read it, so it has to be hand sorted. <laughs> um, and I don't know. I guess it will depend on whether the post is having a good day or a bad day. Whether they think isn't this delightful or oh great, now I have to work all the time to do this. That's a good point, you make. I'm not sure, but they will see it and they will handle it. Uh-huh. <laughs> and they either may or may not be happy. Yes, yeah. <laughs> We're Australian. Australia Post yes. have been amazingly supportive. They actually have a mail art campaign. If you oh, look really? at the hashtag mail it forward. Oh, I didn't know. Um, they are encouraging people to do mail art. They oh, send wow. mail art packs out to people to help encourage them. They celebrate mail art that people are making on their Instagram page. Oh, wow. So they're absolutely, I don't know, people say that everyone complains about their own post yes. in Australia. We yeah. complain about Australia Post. Yeah. Every country, Every country complains, yeah, yeah. But I could say for them they're certainly not discouraging it. Cool. They are encouraging it actively. This is good to so learn. That's kind of nice. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to learn that. That's, that's really yeah, no, cool. No, I met with them. I met with the people from Australia Post um, a few months ago in the city and they were telling me, yep, this was this active campaign that they were really wow. positive about. Good. That's for no good. reason. I said to them, you know, what do you guys gain yeah, from it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it because we've got to buy more stamps? Like, Yeah, but no. Oh. I mean, it doesn't cost, again, in Australia, it doesn't cost more to send something that's um, unusual. Yes, that's in some exactly countries right. it does. Yeah, yes. In Australia it doesn't, but no. it's more the sense of it's part of their community campaign. That's nice. That's really nice. Like to, that's really nice to know. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Um, so... Let's say we've got some listeners out there, they're really inspired to, to have a go at illustrating. They haven't illustrated before. Maybe they've done maybe they've done something else, but they haven't had a go at illustrating. What would you what would you recommend to them to do? Where do you think they should start? I would say first of all, you just have to start drawing. It doesn't matter what it looks like at first. Because there's so much fear of the blank page. Mm. I'll buy a new sketchbook. I'll buy all the materials because one day I'll be good. <laughs> and then you try and you're not as good as you hope to be. <laughs> it's like the, you know, the one term that I tried learning the violin and I could not stand the sound of myself practicing. So I gave up. <laughs> and I see, you know, I'm thinking I have a particular student in mind who's doing one of my courses right now. And she really wanted her art project to be this beautiful um, illustration. And then she was writing to me uh, on email saying, I'm terrible, I can't, you know, I can't draw that. Why did I even think I would do this? I can't draw. And I was like, well, you know, you're not bad. You're just inexperienced. You've never done any illustration before. You have to start somewhere. Yeah, of course. So I set her on a pile. And, and she wouldn't, I'd, I'd set them all these beautiful art journals and she didn't want to touch it because she didn't want to ruin it. Oh, no. So I sent her, I, I staged this intervention. I told her to go and buy a really crappy line exercise book mm-hmm. and draw some really crappy pictures in it. Like you're not allowed to spend more than 30 seconds. Draw mm-hmm. a dolphin, draw mm-hmm. a dog. Um, and they and I sent her some of my own really really bad ones by way of example like yeah. literally stick figures yeah 
because just get drawing and get your hand used to it. And then something else your listeners could do is once you kind of get yourself past the fear of the blank page, there are so many tutorials online. If you look up how to draw a car, <laughs> you'll find something that resonates with the sort of car style that you like or whatever. But you really just start practicing and start doing these tutorials, practice, practice, practice. Mm. And when you're ready, even if you're not good, do start something on social media or somewhere public because practicing in public is really powerful, as I've said, and it will help you find people to cheer you along. So you don't need to start an Instagram that says, I am an awesome illustrator. Start an Instagram saying, this is I'm going to learn to draw. This is my feed. Come with me on the journey. Yeah. And so you say, you know, this week I'm drawing birds and you draw some crappy birds and you share it and you find out what other people are doing and bit by bit, if you draw every day, you will get better but also you will find people to support you, Mm -hmm. which is super important so you're not doing it on your own. Well, it's nice to have someone be honest up front and say, I'm new at this, I'm learning this, come with me as I learn this instead of you know, yeah, instead of presenting as being perfect from the start, which exactly. nobody but is. People don't want, we don't need more people to say I'm the expert at everything. No. <laughs> it's really appealing. And the other thing is, of course, it doesn't have to be online. You might find, you know, that you can go to drawing classes yes. or find art community locally. Yes. Um, online is just more accessible, I guess, for most people these days. Mm. Now, something else that now I've forgotten what I was going to say. <laughs> Some other, it's gone. It's gone. I'll let you know what it comes back. That's all right. <laughs> oh, no. I think, um, I think that's really good advice. I think, and, and particularly practice, practice, practice. I think yeah. that applies to so many things in life. Oh, my gosh. Just don't stop. And actually, I've remembered the other thing because you reminded me with practicing is, and again, I'm sorry to harp on this, but. One thing I've told my students as well who want to draw and want to share their drawing but feel intimidated is if you put a drawing on an envelope and send it to someone with a letter, I will promise you, like guaranteed 100%, the person will love it. And it does not matter what your drawing looks like or how good you are. Yes. Draw a stick figure, like Mm -hmm. literally a line with a line across it for arms and an upside-down V for legs and a circle for a head. That effort that you've put in is more than any other lesson I've probably received in the past 20 years. Absolutely. Um, Write a one-page, just short little heartfelt letter. It doesn't have to be long or a pistol or a great work, but just say, hi, I'm thinking of you, and instead of calling I thought or emailing, I thought I'd send you a letter. Yeah. Draw a picture on the front because then you're actually sharing your work in public, so to speak, Mm. but it's in a really, really safe space because it's to your friend. Yes. And you also know that it's going to make them happy. Yeah. They know what, they're not going to get that and say, thanks for your letter. Look, you did the wing of the bird wrong. <laughs> no one's no, that no, no, no one is. No one they is. just don't critique you. And so it's a really safe place to start sharing your work without feeling critiqued. Yeah. I have a gentleman that I write to and he has spent his whole life not being creative and uh, he decided to start by um, he wanted to learn to draw but wasn't confident. So he's been putting stamps on the letters and the envelopes, you know, different pictures, whether it's a bird or whether it's flowers, and colouring them in. And he's like, he's like, oh, I'm sorry, these aren't fantastic works. I'm like, oh, no, they are wonderful. They're amazing. Like yes. it doesn't matter that they're not, you know, Rembrandts. They're beautiful. Love I love them every time I yep. see them. It's amazing. And it's like, no, this is, this is enough, you know, this yes. is enough. <laughs> 
and it might help. It gets you practicing if you don't sort of have the motivation yourself. The thought that you can bring that much joy to someone mm. while also practicing and learning a new skill. Mm. Definitely, yeah. definitely. Well, thank you so much, Naomi, for for taking time out for us today. I really enjoyed our interview. I think we've That's got my pleasure. a lot of good things there. Um, we will have links in the podcast to your website, of course, where people can uh, sign up to receive the newsletter, which I did a couple of days ago, and I am already inspired. And I actually wrote a letter and uh, put some flowers on it based on being already excited and inspired. So thank you for that. <laughs> I had only been putting them inside the letter. I'm like, oh no, it can go on the outside. Too. <laughs> oh, so thank you so much Naomi oh thank you so much for having me it's been really lovely it has been great thank you hi again posse if you'd like to know more about Naomi you can head over to her website naomiloves.com you can also find her on instagram the links are in the show notes to make things easier for you if you'd like, you can leave a review on iTunes. We do love getting your feedback and hearing about what you think about this podcast. You can also become a patron via patreon.com forward slash art supply posse. If you'd like to send us an email with suggestions on who else we could interview or uh, give us any other feedback via email, you can do that at hello at art I do look forward to hearing from you all.